Hi, I'm Tom Marks with the Marks Law Firm and welcome to the Healthy Family Law Attorney. Today we're going to talk about the top 10 mistakes family law clients make in the family law case. And so I'm bringing this to you today because I believe your family matters and I want to provide hope and help to your family to successfully navigate the family law process in a healthy way. So let's dive in. Uh, number one mistake that family law clients make. Sending emails or texts to your spouse, former spouse or partner when you are tired, when you're angry, when you're frustrated um, and doing it in a reactionary way. You may have just received a hurtful text or email from your significant other and you're upset about it. You react, you send an email that's harsh, that is angry, that's aggressive, that is threatening, and that the court could take as something negative against you that your former spouse or significant other could use against you. So. What I want you to do is not overreact, not react. When you get an email or a text or you're angry and you want to say something to your ex, take some time, calm down, number one. Number two, realize that the judge is probably going to see this email or text and that it's going to be used against you if at all possible. So I can't tell you how many cases I have won on email and text. So I spend a fair amount of time coaching my clients on the importance of, remember, the judge is gonna see this. Number two, so you're responding more objectively with what's in the best interest of the minor children. If the other party's not doing something, not exercising, time sharing appropriately, not allowing you the overnights that you're entitled to, recognize that the court will ultimately make that right. And if you're smart about it and you do it with a calm head and you put in there that you're doing this in the best interest of the minor children, that will help you tremendously. Another piece of advice I would give would be to seek out advice from a therapist or from your attorney or from a trusted advisor or friend. So you might want to have them look at the email or text before you send it to the other side. If you don't have the time to do that or you don't have somebody that can really look over what you're gonna send, one thing I do advise is don't put the recipient's address into the email or the text if possible so that you don't inadvertently hit send before you had time to really think about it and maybe redact a couple of things that you had said in it. So calm heads prevail. Don't send it when you're angry, frustrated, tired, hungry, whatever. Okay, let's move on to number two. Okay, the second most significant mistake that family law clients make is they don't reveal the good, the bad, and the ugly to their attorney. Your attorney needs to know everything that's important and relevant about your case, especially things that could hurt you. So you want to tell your attorney 
the worst thing that the other side might be able to say about you so that your attorney can prepare for that. I can't tell you how many times, even though I advise my clients about this, it does happen that you're about to walk into a hearing or a mediation or, or something and your client says, hey, I probably should have told you this, but, and then you have to hear it right before you walk in. Better then, I guess, than in the middle of the hearing. Okay, so let's move on to number three. Family law clients make the mistake of talking to the children about the litigation, about the family law case. Judges really, really don't like that. That involves the children and what the court calls adult issues or legal issues that the children should not have to be involved in. The court does not want the children to be put in a place where they are having to choose between one parent or the other, okay? And related to that is number four, moving swiftly along here, is that don't talk to the children about the other parent. So a lot of courts and experts start to talk about something called parental alienation. So if you're bad-mouthing the other parent to the children and the children are starting to mimic that or to shun the other parent or become combative with the other parent or really reject the other parent, then there will be oftentimes in the case an allegation that you've engaged in parental alienation, alienating the children from the other parent and the court can impose sanctions against you, can take away time sharing, can take away overnights from you, can grant more time to the other parent to help rehabilitate the other parent's relationship with the children. So don't speak badly of the other parent to the children. Some people say that 50% of the children's DNA is yours and 50% is the other parents. So you're actually speaking badly about half of the child when you're speaking badly about the other parent. So definitely avoid speaking badly about the other parent. Let's move on number five. Okay, don't empty the bank account. The court's not gonna look upon that favorably. Now, arguably, you can go ahead and take half of what's in the bank account. If it's a marital asset, it's something that was earned or accumulated during the marriage, it's a marital asset. The definition is anything that was earned or accumulated from the date of the marriage up to the date of filing the petition for dissolution of marriage. So talk to your attorney about it first. Um, you're gonna need to account for the monies that were taken. So if there's $10,000 in an account, 5,000 is taken, you can account for it, leaving 5,000 to the other uh, parent. All right, number six. Seems somewhat related, but don't hide assets. Okay, what this means is you're, you've got assets that either you've taken from a known account and you hide them, you don't give an accounting for them. So the other parent, the other attorney, opposing counsel doesn't know where they are and it creates issues, they move for sanctions. There's also the issue of hiding assets in terms of not including something that was unknown to the other 
party, the other parent, um, not including it on your financial affidavit. So that is considered fraud on the court. What does that mean? Well, the court has the ability to sanction you for that, to impose attorney's fees, to impose other kinds of sanctions. And there is no statute of limitations on fraudulent financial affidavits. So what does that mean? Even if after the divorce is finalized, if your ex-spouse finds out that you had an asset that you didn't disclose on your financial affidavit, because it's fraud on the court, because there's no statute of limitations, they can go back and seek sanctions from the court and a payment of those monies to you or some portion of those monies as a sanction also. So don't hide assets. Okay, number seven of the top 10 mistakes that family law clients make is failing to produce documents that their attorney needs to provide to the other side. So first you have mandatory disclosure. That has to be provided within 45 days of filing the petition for dissolution of marriage. So there are certain categories your attorney should give you the list of all the documents that need to be provided to comply with mandatory disclosure. And you should get those to your attorney well in advance of the 45 day deadline because the attorney has to go through them, make sure they're in compliance and they're fully disclosing what needs to be provided. So if you don't provide documents timely to your attorney, then the other side is going to seek sanctions from the court. It's gonna file a motion to compel, a motion uh, for attorney's fees, a motion for sanctions, and then try to make you look bad to the court. A request to produce is a, a, a more voluminous type of production where you have to go back and produce documents further back in time. And there's also interrogatories and requests for admissions and things like that that must be complied with in a timely fashion. In fact, if you don't comply with a request for admissions in a timely fashion, those requests are automatically deemed admitted. It's a very powerful and damaging type of document to fail to comply with in a timely fashion. You could absolutely lose your case based on that if you're not given relief from the court to provide the, uh, the answers later. So don't fail to produce documents to comply with what your attorney needs you to do in order to get those to the other side and avoid any complications with the court. Okay, now let's go to number eight of the mistakes that family law clients make. Okay, this is what I call failing to consider the cost. So the family law client fails to consider how expensive the litigation could be. There are different types or different stages that the family law case can go through. Uncontested, contested trial. The case gets progressively more expensive with uh, the various stages the case goes through. If the case settles in this, um, the uncontested phase, then the cost will be less. 
You need to talk with your attorney about the likelihood of it settling in the uncontested phase. I will tell you that typically about 80% of our cases settle in the uncontested phase. That means by the time of mediation or before. Okay. If the mediation fails, then the case becomes contested. That's the first opportunity that the parties actually have to go in front of the court and to start having contested hearings, depositions, all kinds of more expensive processes, and the case gets more expensive. I will say about 15% of the cases settle in the contested phase. That leaves only about 5% or less of the cases that will go to trial depending on the specific facts of your case. So if there are minor children, it's more likely that the case will be litigated because you have custody issues unless you and your spouse, significant other, have resolved those issues or can agree upon a time-sharing schedule um, prior to trial or prior to the contested phase. But there's a lot of cost uh, beyond the financial. There's also emotional, spiritual, familial. So talk to your attorney about all of that, the types of cost, but especially financial, because the worst thing that can happen is you get halfway through the case and you run out of funds, and then you're in the dilemma of what do you do then? So count the cost. All right, factor number nine in the top mistakes family law clients make, disorganization. The family law client drops off a huge box of disorganized documents at their attorney's office, which creates an incredible amount of time for the attorney and or the attorney's staff to go through the documents, to organize them, to put them in categories of the documents being requested, either in the mandatory disclosure or in the request to produce, or if the attorney needs you to answer, um, to provide answers to interrogatories or to provide responses to a request for admissions, then the more organized you can be, the more time you save the attorney and his or her team and the more money you save yourself. So it's a big mistake that family law clients make. They don't want to have to deal with it. They're they're stressed. I understand that. I do provide uh, my paralegals at a much lower rate to assist the family law client in helping them get things organized, helping them complete um, questionnaires or documents or the financial affidavit subject to the attorney's review and to help um, get you organized. All right, last but not least, the 10th mistake that family law clients make, they hire the wrong attorney. I know I've done videos on this about hiring the right attorney and how you do that. What are you looking for in the way of an attorney? Do you want an attorney that's collaboratively minded? Do you want an attorney that's good in litigation? Do you want an attorney that's good in negotiation and mediation? Does it matter to you, the law school that your attorney went to, what their class rank or where they ended up in their class in law school, how long they've been practicing law? One thing I'm gonna tell you is so important is you hire an attorney that does 
primarily or exclusively family law. You don't want an attorney that dabbles in the area of family law. You don't want an attorney that does probate law or real estate that takes a, an occasional family law case, but doesn't really know the family law rules, uh, doesn't know chapter 61 of the Florida statutes that deals with family law, doesn't know the family law judges, you also want an attorney that is familiar with your jurisdiction. So in Central Florida, we have Orange and Osceola counties that are the ninth judicial circuit. And you have Seminole and Brevard counties, which are the 18th judicial circuit. Okay, and you may want an attorney that also practices in Lake County or Polk County to kind of round out, or maybe Volusia that rounds out uh, Central Florida. All right, so that's really important. Those are the top 10 mistakes that family law clients make in the family law process. I'm providing this content because I believe your family matters and I want to provide hope and help to your family to successfully navigate the family law process in a healthy way. So if this video, if this content has provided value, please hit that like button. I would love it if you subscribe to the channel, hit that bell icon so you know when the next videos will be coming out every Wednesday and Friday. We've got videos coming your way and interviews that are designed to help you through the family law process. So thank you for joining the channel today. Thank you for being part of this. Um, if you have a friend or relative that may need to see this information, please share this with them, forward this information to them. Thank you again for being part of the channel today and I'll see you next time.